Hello, I'm John Waters, and I'm supposed to announce there is no smoking in this theater, which I think is one of the most ridiculous things I've ever heard of in my life. How can anyone sit through a length of a film, especially a European film, and not have a cigarette? But don't you wish you had one right now? Mm, 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 mm. And I'm telling you, smoke anyway. It gives ushers jobs. And if people didn't smoke, there would be no employment for the youth of today. So once again, no smoking in this theater. Mm. Oh, I was actually going to do this before we started uh, recording, but I've button. left a link in the chat. Did everybody see the picture of this um, baby palace cat that was born in uh, Helsinki? Uh, it, it's just the fucking cutest thing. I just left oh it in the chat. Oh my! Oh, I know. Let me send this, me send this to my wife on Twitter. Look at those. Let me just you've got yeah, I'm DM this. this. Uh, Listen, oh, it's it's very good. It is a very cute cat. Somebody said that yeah. it looks like the Zoom yeah. guy from a few years back, like the uh, like councilman or whatever who had the Zoom, the cat filter on his face. Uh, oh yeah, I forgot about that guy. That was maybe we just make this the GIF. Like we don't even have GIF. We just have <laughs> just have a picture of this little cat. A fun like. Gif of a slideshow of these images back and yeah. forth. Yeah, or just the, just the one. Cat. You know, just the one yeah. again. This yeah. cat's imagining in uh, a bittersweet way the way it's going to repeat its life's mistakes over and over again. <laughs> He's going to forget this expression. Who among yeah. us? Yeah, honestly, that's what it means to be born. Uh, I mean, that's that's very relevant to this movie, <laughs> right? <laughs> that's what it means to be born here on Try Love Podcast. It's a little roundtable podcast where we talk about movies we saw, people we met at the Trilon Cinema in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Find us on Twitter, Try Love Podcast. Find the Trilon at Trilon Cinema and go to Trilon.org for tickets and merch and other cool information about the Trilon, including some showings. You know, some maybe people rent out the Trilon. Maybe they show movies that they aren't seeing at other theaters. Maybe that happens once in a while. Uh, my name is Jason Daphnis. You don't understand my world. And you can find me on Twitter at Nintendoofus. Who goes next? I'm all thrown. I have no idea. Yeah. I guess it's me. I, I think yeah, it's you, me. Man. Anyway, uh, you came down from your world into mine. Uh, I'm Harry Mack, and you can find me on Twitter at Punish Take. Jason, you want to play it before? He's even oh, asking for it himself now. I feel well, like we, we can't We talked given... about it beforehand. You know? <laughs> Jason was had a different tab open. It's not going to be the okay. whole song. Sorry. It's the shortest. Yeah. The sh- Anyway. Uh, yes. Hello. Uh, it's Aaron. I'm, I'm back. Sorry for my absence. Uh, I do. I did have a. Uh, I, oh, uh, if I see how how in public, I'm fucking his shit up. All right, that's what. That's not a quote from the film. That's yes, just a indeed, fact. Folks. All right. I feel like it could have easily been. There were a lot of people who wanted a piece of him in this movie. <laughs> yeah, uh, he did get beat Doze, up. A few Doze times. was yes. gonna fucking pile drive his ass in the middle of that <laughs> club. Fuck how how all my homies hate how how. <laughs> that's right. That's right. <laughs> Um. Yeah, you could find me on Twitter at uh, RP Please. All my homies, including our guest, hate how how. Uh, go ahead and give yourself an intro there. Hi, I'm Natalie Marlin, returning guest to the podcast, uh, writer of all shades. Um, and somehow this entire podcast that we're recording took place uh, ten years ago, tw- uh, in the year 2013. Somehow. Uh, don't ask us how. I, I, Damn it! That's such a good idea. We we should have recorded this and then released it ten years from now. And one of us, one of us, and just also, says like, "There's and, commentary and, over the yes, top yes, of it." Like, Natalie, yeah. And Natalie always had trenchant insights about <laughs> Taiwanese films of the early two thousands. Uh, we, we're, we're putting a lot of dated references in that like are only going to be relevant as we're recording it and then 10 years back we're like what the fuck are we talking about right. <laughs> it's more about jason's relationship to himself than it is about the movie actually <laughs> um 
Thank you so much for listening, everybody. This is Playing at the Trilon. Check out trilon.org for tickets and showings. I try not to mention the names of the movies, but I will say that Natalie uh, wrote a really strong piece for Parasphere, the Trilon blog, about this film and the fresh millennium, uh, the Ouroboros of time and the fixation of stasis. What a hell of a phrase that just stuck in my mind. Go read it. It's in the show notes and at trilon.org or at parasphere.org, the accompanying Trilon blog. Uh, I finally don't have to take over the uh, the summary of this film, um, <laughs> but if you want me to, I can introduce you. Uh, I can introduce this segment the way that i've been introducing sure. it over the last like five or six episodes thank you yes indeed folks and then you say what the podcast what the movie is for the for this episode of the uh, podcast because i cannot introduce it myself better than the man himself we're we're talking about millennium mambo 2001 film uh directed by chinese taiwanese director uh hao shao shen uh the film follows a young woman named vicky um she narrates uh, as kind of previously mentioned from the year uh 2011 about her life uh, 10 years previous um, in 2001-ish, a time when she was kind of perpetually um, stuck with her abusive and like overly controlling boyfriend, Hao Hao. Um, Vicky describes how she was eventually able to kind of leave him and uh, uh, start a new chapter in her life. Uh, Vicky is played by Xu Shi, uh, Hao Hao played by Tuan Chun Hao, and Jack, uh, who's not been brought up, but we'll chat about him. Character named Jack, played by Jack Cow. Um, film uh, initially on release, um, I guess did okay on the international awards circuit, kind of read varying things about that. I mean, it was nominated for the Palme d'Or, uh, won a technical grand prize for specifically the sound design. Uh, it can, um, supposedly it, it didn't like premiere like crazy. It didn't like set the world on fire, um, um, when it came out, but it did get a, a certain amount of recognition. Um, but, uh, I think it, it has kind of gone on alongside other films, um, by the director to to kind of you know kind of grow in, in estimation and whatnot over the years, um, and I guess that includes among us here, uh, Natalie. I'll, I'll kind of pass it over to you just for your your general take. Again, you did write the the piece for Purosphere, Millennium Fades, great article. But uh, um, I guess how was it? Was this your uh, uh, what number would you say this is and <laughs> of watchings and and how do you like it this time? Uh, this was what uh, number. Well, I don't know. Uh, you've seen it once, you see it twice. I'm Seventeen. Have you, just, have you has it maybe just continually it just ha- repeated? It has the sort of uh yes. vibe of the number seventeen, so that's what we're going with. It has yeah, nothing yeah. to do with anything related to the movie, that's just how you feel right now. Funnily enough, this is my two thousand and first time watching this movie. There we go. <laughs> there you go. Uh, no, this is actually, um, prior to writing the Parasphere piece, I had not actually seen this movie. I uh claimed that purely because um I had heard it talked about from a number of people online who all share very similar tastes with me in regards to uh, especially Chinese, Taiwanese film uh, right at the turn of the millennium. Um, And I had seen references to just how gorgeous the film looks, how stylized it is. Um, Just a couple of years prior, I finally kind of clicked with Ho Shao Shen's work due to uh, rep screening of Flowers of Shanghai shortly before I moved to the Twin Cities and uh, was just like really infatuated with uh, how his approach to these kind of slow, languid, very sort of almost kind of meditative, uh, recursive films kind of come into being. Um, And I had been holding out on watching this until this restoration became more publicly accessible, because by the time that it had crossed onto my radar, it was when news of it had broken out. Um, And so the Trilon showing it was kind of my invitation to start watching it and uh i i kind of had a funny experience and maybe we'll talk about this some on the podcast more but um 
the first watch I did as I was uh, preparing to write about it for Parasphere, it was a very sort of curious thing where I felt um, the the initial experience of watching the film was more about trying to absorb its wavelength and really trying to get on board with what it's doing stylistically and structurally um, in a way that by the time it ended, I didn't feel like I actually had a firm grasp on how I felt about it, what it was doing. Um, Other than that, I thought it was incredibly visually striking. And it was really kind of as I was writing that piece that I started finding kind of my entryway into it and my way of sort of uh, understanding and recognizing and reading the film. And so it was kind of funny because right before this um jason uh for context for listeners jason a couple nights ago invited me on and i was um i knew i was going to go back and watch it again i was like let me see if i am going to have enough to say that isn't already in the piece uh watched it in the theater last night and uh turns out that uh two viewings in such close succession uh make for a really fascinating way to uh, take away what the film is doing thematically once you feel like you have a good grip on it. Um, and so I, I really feel like I not only kind of have a stronger read on it, but also a lot more of an emotional attachment to it that I would love to get into more. But I'm also very curious to hear about everybody else's background with this movie, considering how hard it was to come by for some time. Yeah, I actually somewhat somewhat similarly i'd seen this i've actually had a lot of experiences like this where living in chicago i'll see a film and then i we end up covering it months down the line and sometimes it's like this where it's like the same restoration (laughs) yeah it's like oh yeah i just watched that three months ago i guess i'll watch it again oh which is usually a good experience depending on the film um but you often it's you know like the the same restoration kind of going out to all the theaters that play these kind of restorations um but a lot of it's just kind of watching a lot of movies and, and chants and whatnot. Um, I had seen this at um, Music Box, I want to say like four months ago. I can oh, probably oh, check oh. Letterboxd for the exact the music box. that Music Box rep. Uh, that sounds kind of amazing, actually. That sounds really nice. <laughs> yes, uh, it, it was quite cool. I, I got there and there was like a sign on the door saying like, hey, Millennium Mambo is sold out. And I was like, that's cr- they sold out showing a millennium mambo at the music bot. And then I go in and of course it's the smaller theater, uh, but still, you know, uh, uh, quite cool um, to see it. I, I also had a, I think similar experience as what Natalie described in that I, the first viewing of this, it's almost like you said like wavelength. And like, I think that's like exactly right. This is such a vibes film, not even like a positive, a lot of negative vibes too. Um, but this is a film that is like, largely defined by those sorts of feelings. And I think I had like an intellectual grasp on like what it is doing and saying and whatnot, specifically um, watching this alongside a lot of very similar films. We'll probably talk about uh, from covering on this podcast earlier in the year. Um, But I like knew what it was doing, but I think this, this viewing really helped kind of match up what it's doing with the visuals. And I think there's a lot that is, given in the narration that is the kind of thing that I don't think you really latch on to until you already understand what the, the film is doing. Um, and I think that like, you know, we often cover films that we haven't seen before on the podcast and often we kind of watch them once and we kind of give a, a response based on that. But I do think that there is like specifically with films like this, something pretty important about having kind of a foundation already laid to be able to build on top of 
Um, and so I, I think I have like a stronger take on this film that maybe we can, we can get to, but, but Harry, how, how are you doing over there? Yeah. I I really like where both of you took this because, um, this was also my second time seeing this. This was actually the second, uh, movie I ever pirated. So shout outs to piracy. I just seen, I think I I had just seen three times. Oh, what? What do you want? I'm so sorry, (laughs) but there's a link in the show notes. If you would like to watch this movie without paying Amazon for it, just a thought. Oh, that's cool. It's also, (laughs) It's really? also on Metrograph, uh, so you can watch oh, okay. it on Metrograph. Which yeah, you know, okay. if you if you subscribe to that, I don't. What if we just started tweeting out links to the Pirate Bay for every episode? Sure, that'd be, you know, that'd be pretty that would just like we're covering well. a Disney film. We're like, look, don't we fucking. We had two hundred and thirty nine <laughs> good episodes. Yeah, base Trilod. Yeah, honestly, <laughs> Trilod. Um, yeah. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Let's no, distance I mean, ourselves well, the from the Trilod. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I think John has explicitly told us before. Like, actually, that's pretty cool. If you can watch a movie that's that way, it's pretty alleged. Good. Uh, that can't be used against everyone who works at a theater is paradoxically like, yeah, just steal the shit if you need to. It's <laughs> well, because they know better than anybody else that like, <laughs> yeah. the only people who profit from the fact that this stuff isn't accessible are like the worst human beings on the planet, just like with everything else. Um, uh, yeah, so I think that I, I really agree with both of you. I love this movie the first time I saw it, but I think that um, similarly to what Aaron said, I connected with it more on an intellectual level than um, uh, a sort of emotional one. That was not my experience at all this time. I, I was really um, taken by this movie this time, and in particular, the... Um, compassion that it has for Vicky, the main character, and the compassion that Vicky has for herself, um, I found incredibly moving uh, this time around. I think that something that Natalie's piece does a really good job of unpacking that I really liked and that I think kind of explains why this movie benefits so much from rewatch is that the sort of unusual um, retrospective um, way that the plot is is parsed out to us it it has this really great ability to introduce a real emotional nuance to memory without um usually when when i say that that something is ambivalent uh or that somebody has ambivalent feelings it kind of sounds like a stew of feelings right we're like it's difficult to parse out where one feeling ends and another begins here i feel like that's not the case at all and instead um I can feel what Vicky is feeling about her past and her recollection of her past. And um, I can feel contradictory emotions without those emotions contradicting each other. I can feel her sort of almost like embarrassment and shame and self-compassion and even like melancholic sadness and wistfulness about you know, I mean, I, I'm really struck always by the ending that, Natalie, you talked about in your piece as well, um, where where Vicky has this um, ironic sort of sense of wistfulness and, and um, nostalgia for what is objectively a pretty terrible time in her life and a, and a relationship because that relationship was something that now that she has removed herself from it 10 years away from it, right? She she understands what she learned from it and what she took away from it in a way that she didn't before. And I think that like that this movie feels extremely hopeful for me, um, especially its placement in a new millennium and sort of like the idea that, you know, uh, you contrast the like the hell of this movie with all of its like incredibly long takes um, of just like the worst situations imaginable, just like watching an abused woman, like return to an abusive person over and over again, because she doesn't know what else to do. And because he's sort of like 
systematically taken her resources from her. Um, and you, you contrast that with this idea that like, there's an older, somewhat wiser Vicky looking back on this with almost like a level of bemused nostalgia. And there's this sort of like overarching message that like, it's actually possible. Like even the, the things that feel like they're never going to end are going to end. Time is going to continue. Um, and so I, I was surprised because that was not really my takeaway the last time I watched this movie. Um, and I, I think it has to do with the fact that like, it's, it's got such an unusual way of sort of imparting those vibes um, out to you. So I, I really appreciated this experience and I can't wait to rewatch it again. I think. Yeah. It's funny. You should all mention that because I, this was my first time I've seen the movie uh, and Harry, your, your point about the compassion that Vicky feels for herself in the, like from 2011 to 20, 2001 Vicky, I feel like that is it, like, it gets there specifically through just such strong um, vocal performance in on, on behalf of Shuchi. Like dude, it's what unbelievable. A, what a fucking like, devastating performance as like just through voice, obviously like I she's don't on screen, even she's, speak that language. And I was like, completely yeah. taken aback and moved by that yeah. vocal performance you're right on, yeah on screen she's she's captivating and she's really really fucking good and she just like dominates the frame but like through voiceover i think they get at this like for me the the movie like the a plot obviously is about uh her struggles with how how and jack and her changing feelings and like with the you know turning of the millennium and stuff um but i think it's less about that actually like on beyond just the surface, I think it's more about like her relationship to herself. Like you were saying that compassion she has for herself. Uh, and Natalie, you got at this a little bit too. Um, the quote, and I'm going to do this a few times. I, I apologize. If this is somewhat embarrassing to have your stuff read back to you, but I think it's a really good turn of phrase. And it really illuminates some of what I was feeling about this movie about after my first watches. Um, we live within her emotional state, her being Vicky, uh, her interiority, her reflections, and vitally her relationship to time for her fractures, for her time, fra- for her time fractures. Sorry, my intonation is wrong for her time fractures in a manner. All its own in a manner that only she and not the men in her life will ever know i think the point of this movie is like the looking back uh not just like as a framing device not just as like think about this woman who's remembering all these times that were either good or bad or she's conflicted about but it's like formally even the script becomes recursive i think aaron you might have mentioned in a letterbox review or maybe in a comment or something about how characters start to say in paraphrasing throughout this movie things that she said in the very first scene about things how things were going with how how or who he was like there's a scene where she says about how 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 used to say um you came down to my world one of the lines we opened with you came to my world down to my world so you'll never really understand me and then later on how how in a scene unprompted says i think we're from two different worlds how do we get along Uh, or like there's another example where like she talks about how there was this one time where he stole his dad's rolex and then the cops had to come and they took him both to a police station mm -hmm. and then like literally five minutes later that scene happens and it's so she had just narrated yeah it's so strongly like on the nose it's it's pointed it's the way that like i don't know it made me reconsider the movie the way the fact that it's like uh narrated by somebody that's not unreliable per se but that is like has been changed by this experience you're actually seeing but you're also seeing it through her eyes that actual experience uh it's like it it gives you the idea of the person narrating being the person you're also seeing on screen but like an older hopefully wiser different anyway person uh it gives you hope that she will find better or do better or have better done to her by the time that you meet 2011 vicky 
but like no real promise of that. Uh, like you go the whole movie hoping that things change for her and based on her voice, based on just the way that she's delivering these lines, you don't really come to like feel that, like that she has been like sort of changed by these things that the things might be better for her. Um, I just found that like a really interesting consideration. It, it sort of spun my understanding of why we had Vicky describing in third person, what was happening to this person we saw on screen for me at first, it was just like, Oh, this is how the story is being told. It's somewhat wistful. It's a little bit nostalgic, but then it becomes material to the plot. I think in a really fun, interesting, well fun, but a really interesting way. Um, I forget who had their hand up first, but take it away. Um, I'll, I'll say that I disagree quite strongly with how you ended that. Maybe I think maybe this is Jay. Was this your first time watching it, Jason? Uh, yes, indeed, folks. Okay. Uh, here's, here's what I saw. I, I think I disagree with how you ended that, although I agreed with most of it, but I think there is, I think like the, the main thing that, that I kind of picked up on this watch that I think the film is doing structurally is that I think that we, we are given at the start through her narration that things do in fact get better. Right. I think like one of the, one of the lines near the beginning is like, you know, she eventually broke free of that period in her life. And she's like narrating it from 10 years in the future and, and so on and so forth. So I think the like that, I think the main thing that I picked up that this, this film was really doing that I think is like kind of core to what I view as like, I guess the point of the film is that like, I think we are supposed to um, kind of have two uh, kind of seemingly opposing uh, uh, kind of ideas at once. Right. Which is like, the first is like the kind of emotional immediate impact of what she is going through in 2001, kind of living alongside the kind of emotionless, um, but like uh, objective knowledge that her life did eventually improve. You right? mean like what she's and saying it, from and, 2011 and being the, the objective. music does such a great job of illustrating that in so many yes. ways. And I, I think it's, it is kind of a gamble that the, the film takes because the film really wants you to buy into what she's going through and her relationship with this kind of abusive asshole um, while also knowing in the back of your head that like, he's not around forever, right? Like maybe she's still impacted by the relationship. Maybe these things kind of linger. Um, but the, the perpetual cycle that she's in is not endless. Oh, okay. there, there is something else kind of beyond that. Um, and I think that's something I kind of picked up more on a, a second watch, but I think that like, those two things are like living alongside each other. And I think the film was like pretty brave to say that, like, we can tell you that things get better, but that does not remove the emotional impact of the immediate moment. Oh. And I think that that is like that kind of um, perception of time and memory is like very core to what this film is doing. And um, I, I think, I'll, yeah, I mean, this film kind of gets away without any sort of tension around like what is going to happen like i think we know what is going to happen um but it does not remove the the kind of impact of watching it unfold and it's still kind of you know hard to watch and whatnot uh in the middle so that's kind of like the main thing i think i, I picked up from from this viewing um i can talk about kind of in terms of viewing it so quickly between two different viewings where uh, in this instance, it was probably less than two weeks between my two viewings. Uh, I want to touch on something that uh, Harry brought up about uh, the nature of Vicky's own voiceover, which is that on a rewatch, um, you kind of almost rely on that vo voiceover to help as like a grounding mechanism for just understanding what the ongoing through line of the film is just because there's so little actual exposition in the scenes themselves that 
it becomes kind of your guiding waypoint through a point in Vicky's life where she's so mired in things that she herself can't see that through. Um, but also something that's equally vital is the fact that um, the voiceover, with the exception of the ending, which I, I hope we'll talk about some in detail, uh, entirely every single time it uh, comes up is talking about something that we have yet to see. It's something that is talking from this uh, perspective of uh, hindsight and being able to look back on these events, the, this tumultuous period of her life with a sort of retrospective, uh, distant, probably wiser look at it. Um, but it creates an almost kind of recursion structurally in the film. It it really, it becomes a stylistic way to really kind of further submerge us in the, the place that Vicky in 2001 is, where we're not just seeing these things happen to her repeatedly, we're essentially kind of internalizing the repetition of them because we hear about them before we see them. So by the time that they come up, they're already kind of things that we have come to know as things that are in her life. Um, and I think an important other thing that um, is worth also talking about is um, I, this is a crucial detail I didn't quite pick up on, on my first watch. And I wish I had thrown it into the uh, Perisphere piece uh, like retroactively, but um, I did catch on to the fact that uh, per Jason's quote about uh, the fact that this movie and Vicky's own relationship to time are so grounded in her own perspective as a woman and these two dueling perspectives of the men in her life who can't understand her relationship to time uh, is that uh, the film, I, I think the the shape of the film is really important to the fact that it is centered around this particular relationship in her life, specifically that of How How's, because uh, one of the first pieces of exposition that we get is that How How has essentially been the agent who has trapped Vicky in this kind of stasis. He like intentionally stops her from taking a school exam that will help her kind of move on with her life oh, because yeah. he's a, he's afraid of her moving on is the way that Vicky's narration says it. Um, and so it's become through external means, she has been forced into the situation in which she can't move on and can't uproot herself from it until she has basically expunged this person who has kept her stuck in life out of her life. Um, and I think that also really fuels um, kind of what we see throughout the rest of the film, even once how, how disappears from the film around probably around the one hour mark. Um, which is that Vicky is still kind of rooted in these habits of self-destruction, uh, smoking, drinking constantly. Um, when she is involved with Jack Moore, one of the first things that he talks with her about is trying to get her sober, but we see that it doesn't really immediately take. She's, uh, in those subsequent scenes, kind of more reliant on drugs than ever as she's kind of really unsure. She's. It seems like she's unequipped to uh, have kind of healthy coping mechanisms for how to deal with somebody who is such a, who has been such a big part in her life, albeit somebody who has been such an abusive controlling force exiting her life that it seems like she's kind of falling back on these self-destructive habits because it's the only thing that she knows how. And I think that it's important that kind of where the film ends is somewhere that, um, as, as I hope we'll talk about later, somewhere that seems to promise or at least touch back on something that seems to be a break from that. 
Yeah, I'm really glad you brought up particularly the word agency. I think that um, <clears throat> the ending in particular kind of um, prompts a reevaluation of the entire movie, in my opinion. There's a real irony here about agency and about the idea that like these recursions that Vicky is going through... Uh, maybe not necessarily what prompted them, but but more to the point, like, who do they belong to, right? It's like, and in my opinion, by the end of the movie, we get this really moving affirmation that, in fact, Vicky had always sort of been the person who had the agency to understand her life through this. And the very fact that we are remembering this turn of events through her own memory, like we only ever see this through the POV of, of Vicky 10 years removed, means that it's something that she now sort of has control over, right? Like, I think it's really important that we never hear anything about how 2001 Vicky feels, right? Except for like, when we can see she's in obvious distress, but we do see um, Vicky her, uh, Vicky's monologue from 10 years in the future. And in particular, the way she talks about how how in the ending when she calls him the snowman right and at at new at some point right like even though she didn't know it at the time that how how was eventually going to disappear from her both sort of like literally and metaphorically and there is this great sort of like tinge of sadness along with the freedom that it it seems like and i think you spoke to this in your piece a little bit natalie that like as much as how how was sort of like controlling quote unquote Vicky, Vicky was also sort of using that relationship as a means of not looking forward, right? And so like this this freedom from how how also represents this sort of growth within her to sort of like be able to affirmatively look forward and sort of like reconcile with something she's learned and turn it into something that she can use to move forward. And in the process, it's sort of like it has this great um sort of hopeful suggestion that uh, like I, I think that what one of the two big things this movie is doing is like I think it gets you to understand how people get locked in self-destructive cycles of behavior I think that even formally it does this with like the the sort of like endless present moment of the long take scenes where it's just like they feel so inescapable they don't feel connected to anything like at a certain point it just feels like you are just living that moment while also giving you this hope that even though it feels that way, that's not actually the truth, right? Like, like Aaron said, Vicky is going to escape from this. And not only is she going to escape from this, but once she has, there will come a time where she has healed enough that she is able to reconcile it with who she is now. And she is able to use it to make herself into a new form of agency, right? She's able to reconstruct an identity for herself out of her past that she can use to keep moving forward as opposed to stay stuck where she is. Um, I think that that's the really hopeful part of this movie, even if there's there's a real sadness that accompanies that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, if I can, real quick before Jason uh, hops on, because I know that you probably have some great places to go here. I do want to add two important things that I had forgotten uh, to bring up, which is that I think it is vital that the voiceover that does occur in the beginning explicitly mentions uh, that everything that we are seeing happens in 2001 and as like a very sort of definitive past tense, because I think that creates the expectation that everything that we are seeing, everything that we're experiencing, everything that we're kind of knowing about this period in Vicky's life is very firmly like this single place in her life. Um, And I think that also translates to when we do see her finally like talking about her relationship with how, how with somebody who's not him, when she's talking about him with Jack, it's 
we get this very sort of raw moment where she's clearly distraught, having a hard time um, just even talking about this relationship that's so close to her compared to where she is 10 years onward, where it seems like there's enough of an emotional remove, there's enough of a distance where she's been able to grow and heal over it. Yeah, I think that's part of what I was scratching at when I was talking about her VO from 2011. Um, I think that it, like in the absence of some of that clear, like chronological continuity, I think that with the framing set of like, this is all 2001, this is a short span of time. And I'm talking to you from 10 years in the future. Um, with that set, like the pieces sort of get rearranged, maybe, you know, a, a scene with how, how is now from previous to her, like, you know, real struggles with him or, you know, it, it's not always moving directly forward, obviously directly part of the movie, but in, in the absence of that, um, one of the things that I like, uh, it, it's really hard to miss, but I sub- subconsciously connected the like visuals, the blues and reds, the constant like, you know, flashing of different hues throughout this movie. I subconsciously connected um, blue with how, how and the past and uh, that and all that stuff. And then uh, oranges and more like fall red colors with like almost a false hope for like change and something different. It's uh, it, it, like often I noticed it happening when she's like on her own or trying to avoid how, how, or, you know, her room is lit with reds while his is lit with blues. Um, Jack's apartment is all very like cozy reds. Uh, it happens a lot through the movie, especially like it, it's really again, hard to miss, but like uh, it, the way that it plays with that to like indicate that to like, I'm I'm struggling to say the word rather than indicate, but like, like indicate to like foreground the, the time, the passage of time and like the poles of different desires through time. It uses those main colors. Uh, She's often, um, I think one of her like around the house relaxation fits is just a white top that glows iridescent in the, in his blue UV light underneath of an orange sweater. Uh, And that's like, Oh, that's a mixing of the ideas. Um, Like I think there's a scene where Jack is, taking her back home or maybe to his club and they get out of a really well lit, uh, but like bright orange colored tunnel and boom, they're in the blue dawn and she looks up through the skylight and it's beautiful and it's wonderful. And, but it's also a little like a tinge of regret. Why I bring this up is because I was subconsciously associating, okay, blue is past orange is hope for a better present, excuse me, present or future. Uh, and then Natalie, what something that you wrote in your piece sort of switched that up for me where I was not sure where to, because yeah, it's all up interpretation, obviously, but the phrase that you used, this was in stylic, excuse me, reference to the stylistic thread between fathers of Shanghai and millennium mambo. But I think it's still relevant is beneath the fluorescence of a nightclub or in the soft violet vignetting of an apartment lamp, Vicky glows, but with an intensity that makes her appear submerged or drowned in the color. The past was dim, slow burning, limited to the colors that pre-electric light could yield. And the new millennium is ultra saturation. I find that like, a really fascinating eye opener of the sort of, because it makes me think about the intro scene where I was like, Oh, she's running through the past. She's through this recursive, uh, like tunnel of time, so to speak in the dumbest phrase I can imagine. But like the way that you phrase this, the way that you put these things together, these like sort of the friction of these ideas is making me think differently of it. Like maybe like this is more indicative of, uh, of the, like the sort of future that she is not maybe ready for, or that she will ever be ready for, or that her VO is uh, sort of foregrounding as something that really changed her. Um, I wanted to ask, uh, I mean, put your hand up anyway, so I, I want to toss to you for it. Can I ask a little bit more about, um, you know, what you see when you see this intentional use of color in Millennium Mambo, Natalie? Yeah, it's, I feel like I was latching onto it definitely more so on my first watch um, as a way of 
making sense of what Ho Shao Shen is doing visually because so much of this film is visual storytelling rather than traditional narrative or dialogic storytelling. Um, there's, <clears throat> I think there is such a very distinct uh, identity in especially the saturation of these sequences, especially the ones where it's uh, in Vicky and Hao Hao's apartment or when it's uh, her at any of the number of clubs that she ends up in, um, where it feels like, I think it goes back to that idea of what escape means for her or where she's able to find uh, comfort or where she feels submerged. Um, because so many of uh, the scenes where, say, she's at a nightclub without how how the saturation doesn't feel overwhelming. There's there's a kind of clarity to it. And there's, there's something that um, really feels like it makes the image pop and enriches it. But then there are scenes where I'm thinking about uh, the scene where how how does confront her in the club, uh, uh, trying to win her back. There's not only is there just uh, a saturation to a point where there's like kind of a loss of in- detail almost intentionally, but there's a, a deliberate kind of obfuscation to the way that that scene is framed. Like uh, Ho Shao Shen is putting it so that they're constantly bodies in motion or bodies partially blocking the actors. Um, there, there's just a constant kind of array of movement and uh, a discontinuity of clarity that makes things kind of feel jumbled and lost and kind of puts you in Vicky's own internal confusion in that scene where she starts essentially resistant to how how and then as Jack and all of his buddies get involved she starts kind of meekly making apologies for how how and trying to kind of mm-hmm. uh move into a space where she kind of falls back on those old patterns um and so I, I I think I didn't necessarily put it together that way, but I was thinking about the fact that um, as I was writing the piece um, that the blues are so prominent in those early sequences, especially. And it feels like kind of once we get outside of how how's own command of uh, the situations, they do kind of diminish. Although I do want to talk about uh, and uh, when we do, drive discussion back toward that ending kind of how that appears specifically in the yubari sequences which i think are deeply fascinating because those scenes are so commanded by cooler tones um and i think that that creates an a very interesting kind of reversal and i i think the ambiguity of those sequences uh to a more cynical person you could see that as kind of the recursion coming through but i find that almost kind of uh a form of weird uh unexpected comfort and its own form of escape through the same sort of tones that had commanded vicky before in the past yeah um i'm really glad you brought up the ubari sequence in particular something that really stuck out to me in your piece and i i really latched on to how you talked about color too and, and particularly how often vicky disappears um, into blue. Um, in the first scene, she she disappears around a corner or, or down a staircase and into a tunnel. Um, in the final sequence, as I think you pointed out in the piece, literally she's gone. Like there there is no Vicky in the last sequence. We see Ubari like sans Vicky for like maybe the first time, and it's like, what are we looking at? Right? It's like I I think we're looking at the heavy snows that fell in Ubari that year two thousand one. But it's super notable that like she's gone from that sequence. Right? To me, that's where the sort of like really hard um 
in, in fascinating and true to life sadness of this movie comes from, which is that like, if we read this movie essentially as like an older, wiser woman who wishes that she could extend self-compassion backward through time to a person, a version of herself that didn't really know as much as she knows now and like felt more stuck than, than she would turn out to be in the end. It's also, it's sort of a, a mournful movie, right? That that woman is gone. Right. I, I think that this is a movie mourning the Vicky from 2001 that will never exist again because she can't exist again. And, and it's sort of like it's it's this version of Vicky, like recollecting who that woman was. It's notable also that um, Vicky only ever refers to herself in third person in the narration as if she's talking about a different woman, a woman who is gone now. Um, and she uh, she she is talking as if this is a person who is like, well, I mean, I said gone already, but like not dead necessarily, but just somebody who necessarily can't exist anymore, who has disappeared into time and will only ever exist sort of in the rear view. And um, I, I find it so like beautiful and sad at the same time that she's sort of like, this is like a send off to that person, right? And I, I think that's why the ending is so powerful because it's sort of like, to me, it's like, it's Vicky saying goodbye to this person who was in 2001 and sort of like, thank you for your service right thank you for what you taught me and and like now um i can let you go you know and it's sort of like very uh redemptive in that sense yeah yeah i'm very glad that you brought that up because i feel like that dovetails really neatly into um i feel like we haven't talked about the opening sequence enough honestly because i feel like that's the sequence that everybody really singles out regardless of their feelings of the movie as like such a standout like striking opening um, but I feel like in this time around uh, rewatching it, I feel like my reading of that opening takes on a kind of really fascinating ellipsis, but also like forward momentum of the themes of the movie, where at the end of that sequence, as we see, we're following Vicky as she's kind of uh, in slow motion walking through this almost kind of like pedestrian overpass. And then we see her descend uh First of all, we see her look back at the camera multiple times, which is itself kind of its own form of looking back, but we're not really privy as to like the meaning behind that. We're not really kind of given a sort of clarity as to what that look back means, and we're sort of imprinting our own meaning onto it based on the narration that she's giving us about her situation in this life. Um, But at the end of that sequence, she does descend a set of stairs, and the camera just stays stationary it doesn't move it doesn't follow her it just watches her descend out of the frame and move on and that to me is um kind of similar to what we've been talking about with so many of these things that feels like its own sort of tip off that vicky moves through time like regardless of what we're going to see in the recursions that are happening that's just the nature of time is that eventually she will move through this moment and this moment will stay here in this one location in this one place in human history, but she as a person just by nature has to move through it. And she has to progress into a different stage of her life as all people who keep living do. Um, And that's where I think it's really vital that she does disappear from the frame in that ending sequence, because it feels like you're saying like, um, the film is incapable of showing us the Vicky that comes after this. The film is entirely about the Vicky in this particular point in her life uh, with this particular kind of way of coping about the situation and this way of um, responding to these situations. And once the film has reached a point where 
it's Vicky has evolved beyond that person, she no longer factors into what this movie is showing, which is why I think it's really significant that the ending is these desolate, snowy Yubari city streets. Um, and this also gets to um, one other a- extremely kind of um, pedantic thing I found myself doing this uh, rewatch, which is um, I, I'm not familiar with uh, how many of the crowd here have seen Flowers of Shanghai, but um, uh, when I saw it a couple of years ago, I um, as I caught on to the fact that it is in a very similar stylistic move, a lot of these very slow unfolding long takes that take place over the course of what is nearly a two hour film. But uh, I began kind of almost kind of instinctively starting to like count along with how many shots are actually in the movie. And that film has, I would like to say like 37 or 38 shots total in its entire span. Um, And somewhere along this rewatch, I started realizing because I had connected the two of them as I was writing it, I realized I was able to kind of keep up with it. So I started kind of counting along as I was rewatching it, um, which for the most part is fairly easy just based on how long these shot lengths are. Uh, this this film does have more uh, 56 or possibly 57, depending on whether or not uh, the one uh, really like striking uh, sex scene that takes place probably about like 20 or so minutes in has a dissolve within it. Um, but uh, most vitally is the fact that um, I started realizing as I was kind of doing that, that um, pretty much every sequence with How How unfolds in at most two or three shots. Like almost all of them are these very slow unfolding single takes, usually within their apartment or occasionally a club that they're in. Um, and there's a lot of this kind of really kind of agonizing, uh, almost laborious, uh, documentation of kind of how just the, the very sort of, um, I'm trying to find the word for this, almost kind of like his very deliberate, like machinations for control tactics, very kind of like textbook, like abuse tactics. Um, and then meanwhile, when we do get those Yubari sequences, those are the sequences that are kind of the most cut up. Those are the ones that unfold in six or seven shots. And those usually take place over the span of like maybe two or three minutes. And there's, it becomes almost kind of the film's use of montage. And to me, uh, as I was like piecing that together, it becomes a kind of visual rhetoric of this is kind of Vicky's greatest, uh, uh, the greatest potential for her for change or for escape or for forward momentum are these moments where she can really fully uproot herself from what this life is. And she's seen able to flourish and continue and time almost kind of moves as if she's less stuck in it, Um, which I think is really vital to the film ending with one of those sequences, because it, it almost kind of leaves us in a place where Vicky is already in a place where she is ready to move on. She's ready to roll forward. Um, uh, And, and so I, I think that, there's a really fascinating duality there, especially because the color palette in the Yubari sequences is so shaded in blue where it's maybe it's not necessarily even the, the visual uh, colors that like are associated with how, how are the things that are keeping her down so much as it's the exact way that they're employed or they're saturated that are the, the kinds of uh, signs of, how submerged within that sort of life Vicky is. 
I mean, you, you, you started off by calling that pedantic, but I don't think that's pedantic at all. That's kind of like core to the, I think the, what the film is doing, right. We're like, um, comparing that, that like opening shot to those scenes with how, how I hadn't, I hadn't like thought about specifically doing that, but like I had thought about the scenes with how, how and kind of like how they operate. And I think there is like something kind of striking and that, that, you know, I think that the, that, that opening scene with, with Vicky, like heading down that hallway um, and it being kind of um, notable for its use of this kind of movement. Right. Um, And also kind of her attitude and her manner during that scene is like generally pretty like optimistic and like charging forward. And I think that the, the scenes with how, how that like are, you know, again, quite long takes, but are, operating so differently and that they, they kind of show the repetitive, like I I wrote down like procedural, like nature of like her life with him, but also his actions and how he approaches controlling her. Right. I think like a lot of the, the sexual stuff in this film, which is like very, very hard to watch um, are hard to watch for a lot of reasons, but a lot of it is like the cold kind of mechanical nature um, that, that he, he, he kind of, you know, treats her with, um, and that a, a lot of like the, you know, when he is like trying to get her to have sex with him and whatnot, it, it is like, he, he is not even doing it from any place of like passion. It is like completely passionless and he's doing it simply because he feels that he should, right. He's, There's like, yeah, he's smelling her to make sure that she hasn't been with anybody else. Like instead of yes, like propositioning and, and, and just being tugging romantic. at her yeah. sweatshirt and whatnot, just kind of endlessly. Right. Um, it, there's, you know, 10 minute scenes of, of her, you know, being in the bedroom and she kind of, you know, he kind of pulls at her clothes and then she goes to the bed, uh, the bathroom and then he follows her to the bathroom and then they go to the kitchen and then she goes back to the bedroom and she goes back to the bathroom. And it's like this, this repetition of action that like over the course of the scene just keeps getting like more and more distressing in a manner that I think is quite representative of someone who is like stuck in this like domestic life with someone um, who is, is mistreating them. And it just kind of, it's this cycle of just, just endlessly repeating with, with kind of no way to break free. Right. Which like, I think juxtaposes so well with like that opening scene and like the scenes of, of, uh, Hokkaido and whatnot. Um, it's, you know, I had thought about how those scenes operate, but like comparing them very explicitly, I think like is, is, is quite revealing to, to what this, this film is doing. Yeah, I really like that. I I think that there there's an interesting double edge to the uh the stillness and the um long shots of the how how scenes though, right? In that they're also where the majority of the movie lives, literally sort of like by weight, and it's where we see the most of our main character, and I think that that's that dovetails really well with the sort of like sense of nostalgia in this movie where there's this sense in which like there is this sort of battle for Vicky's soul being waged between how, how and Vicky, right. In that he literally wants to possess her. He wants to keep her where she is. He wants to keep her stuck with him in time forever. Um, he fails at that. Right. But Vicky also fails in a sense, right? Because it turns out you can't keep anybody stuck where they are. And so like there, there's this sort of great double sense that like, even though like, and I, I think this is a big part of why, um, Vicky becomes so sympathetic is that like, even though those scenes are so difficult to bear, you can kind of see why she would want to stay in them to stay stuck in them. Right. She doesn't want to move forward in time either. It just so happens that everybody does. And that's why we get this sort of like, um, 
this ambivalent ending where it's sort of like it's wonderful that she, that she's found freedom, but also she didn't get to keep who she was, right? Nobody does, and so it's like we we learn in hindsight that Vicky always belonged to Vicky in 2001, or at least she belonged to 2011 Vicky now, but 2001 Vicky is also gone. Right. And like, that's, that's really one of the great sadnesses of this movie is that either way uh, you don't get to keep being that person, right. You have to keep moving forward through time. And there's something very, very uh, sad there. Yeah. I think that's also, um, I, we, we talked about this briefly, but I feel like that's what's really important about uh, the fact that really kind of the only time that um, Vicky in voiceover like has any sort of uh, kind of lingering attachment to how how is that closing um, is that closing voiceover where she's talking about the fact that uh, this kind of acute awareness that he will not be a part of her life forever is just it it like makes her awash with sadness and it's not necessarily sadness about losing him so much as it is like losing a part of herself and losing a part of this place in her life and kind of what sort of familiarity it registers exactly to her, whether or not whether or not she's aware of that being a healthy thing or not um and it, it's i i think that that's like one of the most like emotionally complex things that the film does is really kind of keep it there um yeah. <laughs> well, because it's so human to want things to stay the same, right? It's so human to yeah. want to preserve parts of yourself, even though it's impossible, exactly. right? Yeah, I, I one one thing I've, I, uh, you know, at the the end of the year kind of golden berries that we do, we we have some sort of a joke category, and we'll probably have one this year. But I, it's not a funny category. But I am like struck at how many uh, films we've talked about recently not all of them from this year some from kind of end of last year but are how many of those films are like concerned with the nature of uh change and the nature of like specifically uh some sort of like marked point in time being the moment when when things can change right there's this like general feeling that like things are are stuck right there defined by a period of time the 20th century or the 21st century or whatnot and that something about like that that changing uh of the century kind of 2000 2001 and whatnot like operates as a way to change when there's no other way to do so right like kind of like a sort of an out right where where things kind of keep uh uh living in stasis um but can no longer do so Due to uh, it's just like the end of, of like, time. Ooh, it's like literally you ran yes. out of the era. Yes, yeah. it's like this things this, things. Yeah, I was Go going to say it's it's the new year new me category is what it is. Right. That's oh, you just made an entire a very dry, boring category funny, Jason. There Thank you, you. This is this is why you're producer. No, please of the continue. Year. It's um, a great but, point. But uh, I I like I mean we, we fucking talked about E earlier this year, so like that's hey that's probably winning right. Um, but like I do think there is like. For me, there is, uh, you know, for me, a, a generally pretty uh, kind of dry, emotionless person. There is something like weirdly moving and powerful about the the understanding that that things may be bad and things may continue to be bad, but even if they do continue down that road, they don't have to, right? That they're or, does or just that they're the not possibility, right? They're not going to, even if like we think they are, or even it's, it seems like time is never going to pass. I know I, I'm yes. with you. 
I there there's something about just like the the acceptance of the possibility for something else that is like quite moving for me. Um, and I I think that like a lot of films that we have talked about recently have have kind of shown that even if they are films that uh, some of them I think maybe actually end quite badly, right? Like something like The Trial, uh, arguably Mad God, depending on how you read that film, right? Um, but there's something about that acknowledgement of the possibility is like, uh, maybe that's pessimistic, but it is like still kind of um, quite moving. Um, and I put this film into that category. Nice job, Millennium Mambo. Yeah, for for me, that's kind of uh, not to direct conversation to my own writing, which feels somewhat self-centered, but like that was my own entry point into this. I feel like where, um, because the film is so centered around, uh, this conception of the millennium and what it means to essentially greet a new like epoch in human history in human progress. Um, I, I feel like it's, it's no accident that Ho Xiao Shen is so concerned with, a movie that is so rooted in time and what progress means and how laborious it sometimes is to even make progress with human habit and um, human behavior Um, just in a period that is so deeply rooted in so many people considering what time means to them, what the passing of another year, another decade, another century, another millennium means to them. And it's, it's almost kind of in, I, I think that's one of the, really kind of defining things about this movie to me is that in some ways it's a very sort of individual film about a very sort of individual experience and the interiority and emotions that go along with it. But in so many ways, it's about these much larger questions about things that we've all gone through with the passage of time and things that just we as human beings tend to go through. Um, And I, I feel like even still looking at it from that, you can then bring it back into its own kind of recursion with what that means for how we individually deal with this thing that is much bigger than us and moves beyond anything that we're able to do. Um, And it's, it's, it's created this like weird kind of existential way of my own processing of like what time means and like considering kind of this sort of thing um, in, in terms of like, how I look back on my own past versions of myself and the, these ideas that there are essentially like different people I have been or different people that I can like different places in my life. I can no longer access because they're so deeply rooted in specific periods of things that were going on in my life, places I was, uh, what was happening just at that time around me. It's um, I, I think there's, a lot going on here, even beyond the bounds of the film that I think is part of what makes it kind of special for me. Wow. Yeah. That's a very moving thing to say. Um, I'll, I'll try to, uh, sort of respond to both of those things. One, uh, I would, I would make it more like explicitly like political, I guess, uh, Aaron, just to sort of like go off of your point, like absolutely a hundred percent. Like there's a very good reason why I find the sort of possibility of change or inevitability of change narrative to be maybe the most moving in fiction has a lot to do with the fact that, um, I was born in post Reagan neoliberalism, uh, 2001, uh, 9-11 was kind of one of the big moments of my life. And for my entire, uh, coming of age and adulthood, it has not seemed like things were 
going to change, right? It felt like we were living in the end of history, even though people were being uh, making fun of good old Fukuyama for saying that. Um, and so, like, <laughs> the idea that, like, we are going to, like, reach, like, that that something is going to fucking change is, like, very, very important to me <laughs> and something that I find very moving. We just right? got to wait until the year 3000. We, I mean, just got a, we just got a few more. It's or fine. you can just be pessimistic like me. Fine. And like the thing that's going to change is that climate change is going to wipe out the human race. And that'll be the last chapter of human history. The, the year but, 2112 uh, comes and Russia yeah. fans finally take over implementing <laughs> massive social reforms. Um, but yeah, to, to, to respond to what Natalie was saying about that's I think that gets at the emotional core of this movie for me is just the idea that like it's so hard to have self-compassion for like previous versions of yourself. Um, and I think that this movie charts a path toward it um, in a way that is really like beautiful um, and in a way that sort of like associates that progression with something that is inevitable and um, both sad and beautiful. Um, and I, I really appreciate that uh, approach that this movie takes toward that. It's really, really pretty clear headed. Uh, I can't wait for my second watch of this movie so I can go in with all of this context, including Natalie's, which I personally like i waited until i finished the movie to read so that it wouldn't color my perception of it and it just totally like blew me out of the water blew my mind thank you so much natalie for joining um i don't think we have uh, cody's noties but we do have two final segments of the show um before we get to the penultimate segment i want to open the floor one last time for broader discussion topics because this is where we normally start taking up like 45 minutes for Cody's noties. We got some time. If there's anything we haven't touched, we talked a little bit about Yubari in the ending. I know Natalie, you said you wanted to talk about that. Was there anything more rattling around in there that you wanted to get out before we, or that you wanted to discuss as a, as a group? Yeah. Um, I did want to, um, talk somewhat about we we mentioned it almost kind of as a, a footnote briefly, but I did want to touch some about the, uh, music in the film and and specifically kind of the recurring pieces that happen throughout um one thing that did uh strike me even on a first watch is that that uh opening cue almost kind of becomes a like leitmotif um for the rest of the film it continually pops up as especially as vicky is narrating about these periods in her life but it almost kind of I think to me becomes symbolic of like this idea of recursion uh in that it itself is very indicative of this place in her life. It's happening when she's talking about these repetitions in her life. Um, but like pointedly, as we're talking about with that ending, I feel like um, it's important to me that that piece starts and then almost immediately fades out. And something else that we haven't even heard in the film before is what takes over it. And is the thing that kind of shepherds, shepherds us into the credits because that's, it becomes almost indicative of the fact that there is this forward progression of time that, these kinds of familiar comforts that we've grown to know and uh, really kind of accompany different periods of our life uh, are going to kind of fade into the background and something new will take its place. Uh, that was the the main thing. Yeah. And this is totally experiential. So like, I don't, I'm not going to give the movie like credit, whatever that means for this, but like that ending music is so stark. Like when it happens, it's almost like shocking because you're so used to hearing the main like late motif that's playing through. And like, I was kind of disappointed. I was like, Oh, I really like the main song from this movie. And I kind of wanted to hear it play through the credits. And there's something sort of like, like my experience with that song mirrored Vicky's experience with it, where, where it was like this thing that like it, it sort of like became almost this like arbiter of, 
um, horror, right, to follow because it was like, oh, like this means Vicky's going to be going through it. And then like we get to the end and she stops going through it. And I'm like, where's the song? You know, and like there's something so like that's the arc of this movie uh, expressed through music. Um, also, just a great soundtrack. I really, really love the music in this movie. It, it's so like moving to me. Yeah, this is this is my uh, possibly reading too far into things, but it feels like no accident that uh, the film itself, especially when it comes to the kinds of music that we see, uh, uh, how how is like one of the greatest depictions of a fuckboy DJ I've ever seen in a film. Um, in that, like uh, the I, fact that he <laughs> has the DJ setup is so perfect. Oh my god, it's, it's so good. Well, yeah. Yeah, and also such his, a cramped space, yeah. and they still he's still like I'm gonna I'm gonna dedicate a I room need room just for my, my fucking record. He's spending Vicky. his Do you understand his father's fifty thousand Taiwanese dollars <laughs> on the. Shittiest. I know a guy who said that I could get a spot at the club. Okay, those speakers do you care do about not my future. Cheap. That is like know, a that man. is like a real deck. No, Ab- Abby and I were uh, having this conversation last night where she was like she she called his music taste shit. I'm like it's not his taste that shit it's just that he's a very boring unimaginative dj it's, it's just it's, looping it's, the same it sounds like this sample yes. over L- just literally i pulled this because it makes me want to die it sounds like what? hudson hawk when it comes in it sounds so this is not bad no, this is not sounding. bad wait well when he does the little electronic thing yeah yeah Honestly, what it die. Was, the the <laughs> American the American fuckboy version of this is just like extremely shitty, like fake Kanye soul samples. Yeah. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. Just like just doing just doing that. <laughs> uh, just in yeah, 2023. <laughs> no, I I think that um, what you're saying is uh, like especially there's the the scene in which he's trying to coerce Vicky into having sex in that like very long prolonged scene. We're hearing essentially this loop going on and on for what feels like five, eight, ten minutes long, and it's it's unbreaking. It's just, he's literally just, like, left this loop on, and it feels like no accident, to me at least, that, like, the music that Ho Shen is, like, really tying to this character is trance and techno and these genres that are very much rooted on these ideas of almost kind of, uh, like Vicky's voiceover from Twilight Eleven says, an almost kind of hypnotic repetition to it. Ooh, I like the idea of tying the musicality to the VO. Yeah. Like that idea. I, I, I don't know. This, it, it rings for me. Maybe a bit of a junk drawer throughout here. Oh, wait, 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 wait. The then shut the fuck up. Now you can let it uh, loose. This movie does make me want to go clubbing. I know that's maybe kind of against the, you know, you know maybe the core theme. You just, but it's I just do, because you saw the, the magician in the first scene and you were like so excited Same. to see magic yeah. tricks Have happening. Have I shared that on this podcast? Have that I shared you that on this podcast? That you love magic like a human being I've ever met? Yeah, of course. But <laughs> I, yeah, I went to see, I went to see a card magician a few months ago. Uh, my wife was similar to, to you losers, like, oh, this is going to suck. Fucking cards magic. What the fuck is this? Wait. Uh, craziest shit we've ever seen in our lives. I, I, I'm i going to, like, uh, uh, you know, people, like, follow around, like, the Grateful Dead or, like, Bruce Springsteen. I'm just going to do that with card magicians. I'm just traveling the country, seeing the same fucking shit. It was the craziest shit I've ever seen. How, it's how it's you... like, oh, my life. I've never been happier in life than watching card magic. I, I, it's crazy. I, I thought, like, legitimately with the coin trick that the magician performs in this movie, I thought, like oh fine. this movie isn't high enough budget to yeah. have any sort of like any kind of VFX or special effects so he actually did that and I I yeah. with the simplest sleight of hand I uh, my mind melts I don't you I don't honestly honestly I'm if I see that he that that guy is coming to Minnesota I'm gonna harass you to go like, <laughs> I'm, I'm not I'm not go. even joking you will not have to. Get- 
I mean, the the the, th- yeah. the thing about the clubbing urges in this movie is you just have to go to the cow club where like there's the cool DJs, oh my the God. cool brother DJs who are gonna take you to Ubari. You you don't yep. go to the ones where How How's gonna find you. Go yeah. to the ones where you're just gonna meet like the cool twins. Bro, it makes me want to but- buy one of those goblets or martini glasses that's like opaque cow print. Those things look so fucking good. <laughs> oh my god. Yeah. Anyway, that's my that's my uh that's drawer. a junk drawer thought. Yeah, I guess we, we, we've formally opened it. If any other little tiny ideas, any little one-offs mine was that How How's music t- like sounds like ass. He's just the worst. I mean, because he took a pretty good club beat <laughs> and did bad. some shit to it. That just yeah, always sounds you know. bad. He just leaves it running in the background. It's, which is an I mean, he's just move. symbolic more than actually. He's just, he's you know. just symbolically not very good. If I was at a club right? and that was playing, why I, I would be ex- like, yeah, I'll go grab a drink during this, but I'm happy. Why does How How have shooters on this podcast? No, uh, I, I will say we're that I'm really, him up if we see him. Yeah. No question. We are all in agreement. I really like that his I'm DJ name chat. Yeah, was yeah, huge, huge tunes, and both huge and tunes yes. were misspelled. Yeah. His DJ Wait, huge tunes. It's, it's really good. It's huge, huuge tunes. Tunes, like the, yeah, you're the right. British. Yep, yep. Yeah. C H O O N. And I think I think there's like a I think huge like has a J in it at one point. It's like really fucks up the writing. Yeah, he does. He's he's only absorbed uh, what DJ culture is through like pirate British radio, but like not the cool British yeah. radio, like not not the uh, what I'm told from some friends is like the cool like Scottish electronic scene. It's like the the dregs of Britain. It's like the people who have never heard a club beat in their life and decide they're going to pick up a deck. It's the chavs of chavs who give you that kind of music. It's like a coworker recommends you this music, and it's like eh, it's it's not that's not the stuff. Uh, <laughs> Aaron, Harry, any final junk drawer thoughts before we get to, I guess, without Cody, our final final segment? I think I'm good to go. Cool. Close the that junk baby drawer up. is empty, so well, it doesn't sound empty. It's a, it's an audio effect. It doesn't. Uh, we have one. It's empty of what we want. Wait, like, it still has idea? all the nails and it's yeah. like, we're not There's actually that one out. fewer paper clips in there sure. every yeah. single time I close it because I we just pulled... needed one. I had to dig in there really far in order to get mm-hmm. it. I don't know what all this other stuff. That's is. the sound. Passport. Yeah. That's the sound. There's lore to this. Uh, but we have actually one final segment um, where I want to ask y'all uh, what images should go along with the episode when we publish it on Twitter. And it's called Good Grief. Give Me a GIF. Uh, Natalie, were there any shots that stuck out to you in terms of with, with or without timestamps? Just things you thought would look well. We have some history here where I still haven't pulled your Mad Max uh, shots. <laughs> That's from like three and a half months ago yeah, at the beef. very least. I know you have beef, but uh, let's set that aside and see two versions of ourselves. One version where you aren't mad at me for it and one version where you are. Uh, let's let's focus on the one version where you aren't mad at me for it. What shots from this movie do you think would look great as gifts going alongside on Twitter? Uh, where I'm not mad, uh, let's say uh, the the final shot, specifically at uh, the very end of it, where you can see the crows kind of like hopping around in the snow. That's a very tranquil image. It to me is so loaded with emotion, just uh, like makes me overwhelmed. Uh, just beautiful, beautiful final shot of the film. Uh, where I am mad at you, just because how how is in it? Uh, I'm going to say uh, the one alluded to sex sequence where it's uh, shot where both of them are almost kind of upside down in the frame and you have the flashing lights kind of overlaid on top of them. Oh, that is a good shot. Yeah, that is. Uh, that was one of the ones that I was thinking of. I decided to pull it because I don't know how I feel about putting how how and his O face on a GIF. But if it's asked for, it's asked for. Um, Aaron, you have been away a long while. Were you watching this movie with your two eyes? And did they show you anything that you want to see uh, again on a GIF? 
Yeah, I mean, there's an obvious answer to this, and that's what we. I mean, there's never been a bigger "what are we doing sure. here" uh, moment. I think. Uh, so I'm giving you, I'm letting you have the just, stage, my friend. Yeah. How? How? What's the size requirement? Like, what is the? What can we share? What is uh, the size well, max? I mean, gift? honestly, I have a gift tool that can make like up to 30, 45 seconds, but the really low, um, like frame rate or quality. So know that the longer yeah, so it not gets, quite the less the entire it's opening, be beautiful. The opening shot won't work. Maybe maybe gift. up to ten seconds, we can make look really good. Um. Yeah, I'll just just take as long of that. Yeah, just any ten seconds from the opening shot. Maybe you know she's walking like this. Maybe she looks back. She does a hair thing. Definitely got to be when she looks back. Like, don't just yeah, get look her back. back but he actually, yeah, uh, yes, looks back is <laughs> any time she looks back. That's good. Show the face. Yeah. Yes, that's my take. Uh, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm boring. That literally the first and last shots were the two that I chose, which I feel bad because like this is a pretty movie. There are a lot of good shots in it, but yeah. I'm just those are the ones that I remember. You know, those maybe, are the ones I want to see. Maybe a half second clip of How How getting hit. You know, the one where he gets hit in the Ooh, club. Really, sure. Just that, just repeating endlessly. Just okay. getting just like, face beat. Maybe just like all of those, a super cut of all the times Vicky has to clean the fucking apartment and it's so oh, heartbreaking. God. Like Jesus. stepping uh. over her fucking like douchebag uh, boyfriend's friends that are playing video games and popping <laughs> Benzies. And she's just like yeah. fucking picking up their cans and shit. Christ. What a fucking bum ass. Uh, mine would be, there's a shot, I think the first time she goes to Yubari, um, she put plants her face in the snow, or I forget if it's her or if it's her friend from the bar, but plants her face in the snow, and then there's just a shot of the funny face in the snow. Uh, very cute. That's uh, a very good one, yeah. There's, yeah. there's also one, I think it's outside either Jack's apartment or his, the hotel he's rented or something like that, but um, there's a train reflected in the uh, sort of like midday sun and uh, like it does play with those cooler and warmer hues of the shot but also it like goes on for like 15 seconds where the train is just moving from east to west uh across the frame and it's like i don't know it was somewhat entrancing i I wanted to leave the 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 gimmies the cleanies the the ending like there's one specific i'm glad you brought up the very ending natalie because there's one specific shot of a bunch of crows just like leaving the frame and it makes such a nice perpetual gif of like you don't see them before the gif starts they leave the gif and it's in like five seconds and it's done it's gonna make a, such a good beautiful loop this motherfucker always goes last and then he's like oh i wanted to give you guys the easy ones <laughs> listen it's like yeah you went last motherfucker I'm like you don't pro- get to say that I'm, shit i'm a producer not one who produces you know what i mean i'm i'm not somebody i'm not the product. you're not a producer man you're a producer <laughs> man. Come on, man. <laughs> even without him here his spirit lingers uh, well, thank you so much, Natalie, for being on another episode of our podcast. Tell people where thank they can you. find you online if you want them to find you. Uh, on the the places that I exist almost entirely, I am Natalie's not in it on Twitter. Refuse to call it the other name. Uh, Instagram, Blue Sky, if you're cool. If you're not on there, like hit me up. I have like fucking four invite codes that nobody ever like sends me. And that that extends to the rest of you who are not on there for that matter. Like, let me, let me get more cool people on there. Um, Aaron, did you ever get a, a blue sky? Invite? I know you were like really horny have, for one. I have that and threads. Yeah, I guess I should. My, I was thinking, do I make a quick joke about uh, plugging those during the intro? And I was like, eh, just, just, yeah, we got to guess. We yeah. Until no we can get Tom yeah. Frewley on this one. Um, but no yeah, no, I'm on, I'm on blue sky. I don't, uh, my phone doesn't for some reason get notifications on there Mine so I, I just have to open it every I don't once in think, a while i don't think there is uh coding in it for push notifications at this present moment i think like it's literally thing. just in app <laughs> yeah. which is 
definitely a little, a little weird, odd but... for because uh, I think <laughs> like at least I same uh, threads. I think I get push notifications. So um, anyway, uh, Blue Sky should maybe hire me, and I will learn how to. <laughs> They just pay me a lot of money. I'll figure it out. I'll yeah. figure it out. APIs and integrations yeah. and and all those fun buzzwords. Uh, well, thank you, Natalie, for uh, being on. We have uh, a you. link to Natalie's piece, Millennium Fades, about Millennium Mambo, on Parasphere.org. That's a link in the show notes, or you can go to Parasphere.org. There's a bunch of great writing there about movies we have covered and movies we haven't covered. Check it out. It is edited by Finn Odom, another former guest of the podcast, uh, another wonderful writer uh, themselves, and a great voice to follow on Twitter. I guess I'm just whoring out to everybody's Twitters at this point, including mine, uh, which is at Trilove Podcast. Uh, find us on Twitter there and find the Trilove at Trilove.org. I don't have a, uh, a Twitter. Uh, actually, I'm, 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 I'm just trying to like delete digital presence. I had one hit tweet like two years ago, and I think that's the height of my career. So going to put a that. banger hit tweet, though. Thank you. Thank you. The, I, I wish I could say that when I see big popular tweets, I don't measure like I go, don't go back to the bookmark on my own tweet and like. Hmm, how did this how did this one turn out for you and you just got like no, half a million impressions. it was it was, like, it was so fucking it was like million like seven eight million impressions and two hundred and eighty thousand likes well i mean like likes we're, we're gonna put the, in, the engagement metrics on your grave jason <laughs> thank for you. you i appreciate yeah. that it'll cost a lot because there are a lot of numbers there it's, it's a lot of zeros uh but no thank you so much for listening uh listeners um uh check us out on the trial of podcast find me on twitter at uh, Nintendoofus. I ended up dropping it anyway. Um, uh, give Everybody give your outs, and we'll see you goodnight. I've been Harry Mackin. You can find me on Twitter at PunishTake. I don't think I'm going to do Blue Sky. I'm not sure yet, but I think I'm going to wave of mutilation myself and just walk into the social media sea, never to be seen again. Um, but uh, let you know if that changes. In the meantime, I'm on Twitter, I guess. Um. My name's Aaron. Uh, yeah, uh, t- Twitter, Blue Sky, Threads, RB, please hit me up. I guess I'll uh, I load that about once a week, so I'll see the notification. I'll give the follow back. So you know.
生活才有一挂希望。